imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Kevin Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock. About music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're gonna go on a killing spree to shot and nail it. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it, welcome to it, welcome to it. Episode 261, 261 of Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Here it comes, y'all. Code Neutron's Protonic Reversal is a long-running podcast about music and musicians. This is episode 261. If this is your first time listening to the show, all of the archives are at ProtonicReversal.com and are always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you'd like to support the show or get episodes sooner, you can give $1 a month to Patreon.com slash ProtonicReversal. If you like the show also, or even just a single episode... Please feel free to share it along, like, subscribe, or post a review. All of that helps people find the show, and it's just a darn nice thing to do. A very special guest for you today, Johnny Temple tonight, the Amazing Girls Against Boys, also Soul Side, Fake Names, and Akashic Books. How cool. So let's, without further ado, get right down to it. We don't often have rock, we have lots of rockers on this show, but we don't often have rockers that have taken uh, quite a career turn uh, as my guest today. Of course, you probably know him from the astoundingly great uh, Girls Against Boys, perhaps Soul Side, even Fake Names. Uh, but uh, did you know this this dude knows books, man? This is uh, Johnny Temple. Mr. Johnny Temple, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me. Do you get that a lot? Do you get a lot of Because there isn't a lot of a rocker-to-book complex uh, folks out there. I just don't know of many people that have started, at least with the aplomb and vigor that you have with uh, Akashic Books, that uh, that turn specifically. How did that come to pass? Can we start with that? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. And I, I don't think, I will say, I don't think it's incredibly unusual um, in that like musicians are big readers generally, more so, than, more so than the general population. Because when I started publishing books, when I was still like a full, what Girls Against Boys was still going full time. It was like the mid nineties. And we uh, um, got a bit like, we had been putting out records on Touch and Go and in, in Chicago. Yes. And um, and then we got a whole bunch of interest from the big, the major labels. And they all descended on us at once. We were at the right place at the right time, exactly the right number of years and months after Nirvana broke big. Yeah. And so we, we got caught um, in like a bidding war, which was great. 
Um, not not everything about it was great. There was a lot about <laughs> it that was not great. But the point being, for the for the for to answer your question, um, we signed a good record deal, and for the first time in my life, I had disposable income. Right. I started a what I always wanted to do was start a record label, so I did that with my friends Bobby Sullivan and Mark Sullivan, Akashic Records, and then I kind of evolved into a book publishing company without really ever planning to. Um, and then uh, we sort of took the ball and ran with it. And along the way, Bobby and Mark both became parents. And when it was a money losing operation, they couldn't afford to <laughs> um, stick around. Um, but but um, people, people would say to me in the early days, yeah, it's so unusual, like a, a, a rock dude starting a book publishing company. <laughs> and people would say like, you know, does anyone, does anyone else in your band even read? <laughs> and I always thought that was so. I thought that was so ignorant. You know, it's like yeah, you but like you're you're an illiterate because you play in a rock band. I mean, come on, of course. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, we're more literate. Rock, rock yeah. and rollers, jazz musicians, hip hop artists, classical musicians. Yeah. They're, you know, high life. They're, those musicians are all more literate than the rest of you. You know, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's 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 a it's an absurd thing uh, built by years of framing you know, through uh, mass media, the, the, the only appreciable music uh, narratives allowed are behind the music and, you know, things like Almost Famous, where you have these, like, subliterate <laughs> poonhounds, basically. Uh, yeah, so I, I, why not? Sure. And, and did you have any, um, uh, like, were you thinking of things like Black Sparrow or anything along those lines? Were you thinking of, like, uh, you're, you're more... Yep. Strong ethos, kind of uh, <laughs> label-like identity to them, as far as uh, you know, you, you a, a trust, a name you can trust and recognize that, like, hey, this is going to be, yeah, terrible. yeah, no, and it's, I mean, you're, in a, you, that's astute for you to mention Black Sparrow because that they were hugely uh, inspirational. And what was interesting is that at that time there was like a million little record labels doing good work. A lot of them, not all of them, um, <laughs> right. but but um, but it, there weren't that many book publishing companies. There was like twelve indie <laughs> book publishing companies. Now there's like thousands there's and thousands. Of them now. Yeah, which, yeah. <laughs> which is which is which is a good thing because it reflects, you know, um, uh, you know, the pr uh, technology progressing in such a way that you don't need to be rich to publish a book anymore, which is kind of good. Um, but anyway, there was there weren't that many indie publishers, but I was totally inspired by them. And Black Sparrow, the way they would print their covers on that un uncoated matte matte uncoated stock, I just loved. So the first three Akashic books had that. It, it, we we weren't we weren't um, imitating their typography or the, their compositions, but but just using the. Um, that that uncoated stock, which we still use occasionally, I, I love that. I love that tactile paper stock. Yeah, in its way, it's it's like it was as unique uh, in presentation and style as almost like you know the the like the Chicago Fireproof Press and company uh, style record covers uh, of just having yeah that, yeah that tactile feel, the look, like and, and again almost the indie record label style identity that like you can kind of look at and be like, yeah. oh, I bet that's I bet I know who published that and and which yeah and exactly and you see their logo you see the black sparrow yeah. logo i mean my tastes have changed enough that that i could that's no maybe no longer currently what i'm but but so i'm not but but um 
you know, yeah, they they publish great books, high quality, really excellent publishing company. Well, and, and and I guess that's something too that like does that the indie publishing world is is going to be different than like the music world and the the mechanisms are different and how people get involved in there are different why people even do it are going to be different but it just it strikes me that uh and as you mentioned there are more indie publishers now uh but at the time you were doing it did you feel like there was anybody kind of in in the game so to speak that was that was doing the kind of thing you were wanting to do or is that one of the reasons why you made it in the first place yeah no i mean one uh you know henry rollins was doing 21361 his publishing company which oh, yeah, i believe guy. still exists to this day <laughs> but along the way they went um i think it started as a sort of avenue for henry to publish his own work perhaps i, I don't actually know the story but i know that it grew and then he was publishing writers like hubert selby yeah, and man. other great great writers and then at some point he shrank back down and shrunk it back down to just, I think, doing his own work again. But he, when he, when he was in the middle of the period of doing really literary, strong, strong literary work. I mean, Henry's own writing is strong literary work, course, but by yeah. multiple writers, that was when I was starting up. And I think I reached out to Henry, um, who I, you know, knew just a little bit, and he he was super helpful. And he told his staff to like help help me uh, figure it out. Uh, yeah, you know, gave me some like crucial contact information that, you know, this is Publishers Weekly. Here's how you yeah, get in touch yeah. with them. They, you got to make sure they get your books. And they, I didn't know anything. What I did know was like how music worked in the music business. I didn't know it inside out, but I've been playing in bands and at this point been recorded with bands on both like independent and major record labels. So I had a good sense of, you know, the, the business of culture or whatever. Um, but anyway, um, Henry Rollins, 21361, and his crew were incredibly helpful to me. Um, yeah. And so, and what, what I was trying to do wasn't all that different than what they were doing. I mean, right. quite honestly, again, my tastes maybe run a little bit different, but in, but in terms of the style and, and the ethos and the approach was like, yeah, I, I, you know, still, you could look at what 21361 was doing then and see a lot of Akashic. To me, Discord Records was like always a core inspiration. So it was like a Discord Records with with some 21361 thrown in and Black Sparrow yeah. and um, Norton and other great independent companies that were continue to inspire me. Well, I was going to make the analogy of like Discord to Touch and Go or something along those lines, being that you know that both labels had a sim- similar operating ethos, uh, but you know yeah. working in slightly different different ter- uh, train and territory and, and i think that's fascinating too. and also just a, a a point of fact and just a comment that i would not have known about hubert Zilber jr if not for henry rollins flat out like i found yeah, out about him and that's was fucking like, incredible that is so cool yes yeah. awesome i hope henry hears you say that i mean because that's just really that's <laughs> yeah, why that's, that's why, why you do publish, it right you know? i mean like, yeah you know it's like to me, to me, publishing is also like a little bit like the core impulse. I wanted to do a record label, which yeah. is what I originally wanted to do. I never dreamed of doing a book publishing company, but because there were no publishers at the time, there was a demand for it. So when we experimented with it, it was really fulfilling because we weren't being redundant with, but, but I think the core impulse is like to be the DJ. Like to me, yeah. it's like, I want to be spinning the records that everybody is dancing to. That's that is sure, sort of my yeah, core man. impulse as a to publish books. 
you know. Well, and, and it, you know, it seems like it comes from an honest fandom too of the like, hey, have you read, you know, the such and oh man, I think you'd really exactly. dig this. You would, you would really like this. Here's all the reasons yes, why you would like will, it. You know, <laughs> this will blow you away. This is incredible. This will rock your world and turn it upside down. What things did you learn from the uh, music world, like the the record making world? Uh, you know, in the indie and, and major label worlds that were actually did translate over to the book world? I mean, a lot. So much, tra- it, it's like, I'd say like the book business is like 50% overlap with the music business. It's like half of it is very similar. And then the other half is more peculiar to books. But my point being, there's so much that transfers over. Um, I wouldn't even, I, I would hardly know where to begin answering that question because it's, you know, bookstores are like, there's very similar to record stores. So the distribution, what, one of the things, yeah, um, it's almost, it's almost more interesting, the differences. I, I was just going to say, you could also do to do the differences as well, because, you know, even down yeah. to like, which are the most pain in the ass things to move records and books. If you're moving from one, from one house to another, it's like, those are the most pain in the ass yeah. things, but they're also the most, I, I'm speaking personally and, and probably to a lot of listeners to the show, those are going to be the most important things too. Uh, so yeah, what about the differences? The difference was b- between that. Like, what, what were the what were the big most surprising differences in the in the book world that you were like, oh, didn't see that coming. Okay. Yeah. Well, the the on a negative pain in the ass level is this issue of bookstore returns. When I'm sure, yeah. when when you're a book publisher and you ship out, you know, a thousand books, copies of a new book out to bookstores and stuff. On average, this is changing, but as of a few years ago, on average, a third of those books are going to come back to you, um, and you 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 may continue selling books so that you know then you sell through that those books that came back, but you often may not because books are very hard to sell, yeah. and so a, a high percentage of the books that you ship out come back for the you know the big successes that you have in my publishing company we've had a lot of great successes you know had a lot of books where that's not really a problem but it is always there an ebb and a flow and for the books that don't quite find an audience you kind of get hammered with returns now i've been doing this for over 20 years it's no longer it's now just part of how i do business it doesn't surprise me so much but then that was that was kind of an early surprise um and then on the positive side about books was there's less um, social hierarchy in the book world mm. than there is in the music world. And that was one of the things that I liked about it is uh, I, I found music, not just rock and roll, but other musical genres and stuff to be just socially hierarchical. And I, 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 it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, it's not, I'm, I'm not saying it was like the bane of my existence, but it is something that I appreciate about books. Books are a little bit more anonymous, like, like for pop popular music, rock and roll music, hip hop, but you know, popular music, you know, it's like 60% art, 40% style, you know, or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever band you are, like a band like Fugazi is like 95% art, <laughs> you know, or 98% or whatever, whatever, you know, sure. every band is different, but I'm, but in books, that percentage is very different. And it, it also makes books less exciting because in music, you have a whole bunch of people being super performative and showboating with massive egos that they're trying to brandish in like crazy iconoclastic ways, often very successfully, you know, and that's what we love is the, the insanity 
you know, and, you know, like the out of control ego kind of can play better if it's successful, maybe in, in the music world, it can also be horrible. But anyway, it's like, <laughs> it's all toned down in the book world for better and for worse. But, but, it, but in terms of, um, I've, I've, to me, I appreciated it a lot coming out of like a, a hefty rock and roll period when you know, the girls against boys putting out a bunch of records and then seeing yeah. what it was like being on a major label and the sort of unfortunate cynicism that comes with that books books from to me were a breath of fresh air well and it almost seems like okay so you could have your your authors that there's a certain force to the words there's a certain force to what's being presented uh within the book itself to the fact you you could sit there and make analogies like okay like you know a cubby Sully jr would be uh you know he'd be the stooges right sure okay he's the stooges <laughs> and 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 uh you could make all sorts of analogies but it's not quite going to hit the same because it's not uh it's not a performance in, in that same way so i mean do you find that uh do book folk book folk sure book folks seem more introverted do you think or is it just uh does, does it hit differently as far as their it's not, personality. I, it's just, um, it's, it's, I don't think it's introverted. It's just, um, um, less dynamic. <laughs> that's a, that, that's not, that's an ungenerous thing to say, but it's just that there's a lot more personality. I find that the personalities among my musician friends are a little bit more, their personalities are like a little bit more defined and amped up sure then then and i wouldn't say just people in the book world but people in general but the book world is it's a little bit staid you know it's a little bit um bourgeois um it's a little bit highly educated um and not completely the book world is big and it encompasses different you know but 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 it skews kind of like it's it skews wealthy there's many many people yeah. that are not wealthy and that don't come from wealthy backgrounds but but the culture of it is a little highly educated for my tastes even though i'm myself i'm pretty well educated but i don't i'm not i you know it makes me cringe to think about like trying to make art you know for for prosperous people <laughs> You well, know, sure, which, sure. which as a publisher, I do to a large extent, but I, but I can't, I couldn't be comfortable if I wasn't also trying to sell books to, you know, across the socio socioeconomic spectrum, et cetera. So has there been any challenges and I'm just, I'm, I'm going to hammer this because I think it's kind of interesting. Have there been any challenges with kind of making it more uh, equitable for folks for, to invite people in that maybe, wouldn't wouldn't be thinking about buying books because they're you know they get they're gonna leave it to like Netflix and whatever and <laughs> and that's about the end of it for their entertainment. I mean it's there you see you, it seems like there's a think piece article every couple years about like uh, oh well you know no one's reading anymore and this and that and the other uh, and certainly there are more distractions there's more entertainment options things along those lines. Is it something that you kind of actually have to sort of push to find new audiences or do you even bother thinking about that because that way lies madness. Um, no, I mean, we, we, yeah, we're always looking for um, existing readers, but also new readers. Um, and yeah, trying to pull people towards books. Netflix is really, you know, very fun to watch. And, and they're, but I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm less concerned than a lot of people in the business about no one reads anymore. I kind of don't believe it. Yeah, you know, people, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like definitely reading habits have changed and 
And definitely, like probably studies can show that perhaps you could say that reading has declined, but that's my, that's like the book publishing world needs to be like reaching out to the whole population just for, just for its own survival to, to remain relevant. But I don't, I don't feel like books are on the precipice of becoming irrelevant or, or anything like that. Um, but there are constantly challenges. It's a tough business. It's a really tough business. But um, yeah, I like the idea of trying to find new readers and trying to develop new readers. You know, we yeah. publish books for kids. We publish picture picture books um, for for you know tiny children. We publish middle grade and young adult books, and so that's one of the things that we do in term and and we publish just like the rest of our list. Those children's books are very like culturally diverse. Um, that's always been core to our mission. Um, we publish a lot of uh, African American writers, Caribbean writers, writers from the whole the, the African diaspora, writers in a, a, African writers. Um, that's that's always been core, you know, core to what we do. And and we also participate a lot in book public book fairs and book festivals, which I think is a great way to pull people towards books because you have authors speaking authors of yeah. various backgrounds and with different ty- genres, science fiction authors, horror authors, poets, um, nonfiction authors, you know, from, and I'm one of the co-founders of the Brooklyn Book Festival and it's super diverse. And there's, you know, whether you're young or you're old or you're an atheist or you're a Muslim, that there's, you know, the, the book festival, it's our mission to show you how exciting books are regardless what your background is. Well, and, and there's going to be a certain amount of dynamicism towards seeing someone read, too, uh, that maybe it's going to allow people to find an interest or connect with something that they're unfamiliar with based upon the presentation of just seeing the author, you know, re- read a, a selection. Like, oh, that sounded interesting. I want to know more about that. And that's, yeah. you know, it, it's 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 a brave new world for a lot of things. And again, the, uh, you know, are people done with reading seems to be the same type of editorial malpractice that happens with the is rock dead slash rock and roll is back that you see every you know what i think it's i think we're down to three year cycles at this point but you know, <laughs> <laughs> nothing yeah. new under the sun as far as that goes uh so i guess uh the, the, and, and and i i think we could we could just talk about the bookstore forever the one thing i did want i want to bring up is is there an assumption for people that only know you from rock and roll that it's all rock and roll autobiographies and like rock and roll books or something. (laughs) Um, I don't really come across that too much. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, um, but you know, what's interesting is, is that, uh, it's almost the opposite. Mm. It isn't the opposite, but I'll, but I'll try to say this quickly. When I started publishing books, as I referenced a little bit a few moments ago, to me, it was a breath of fresh air away from the music business. So when I started publishing books, I specifically did not did not want to publish music books. I was not interested in that. Yeah. I wanted to, I had enough music in my, and I was still a full-time musician. So I wasn't running away from music. I just, in, my, in the musician part of my life, and I was playing yeah. in my two bands. <laughs> so I had, I had enough music. I didn't also need to run a music business. Like that was yeah. way too much, you know? And so... It, it, it was like our first like 10 years, we published almost no music themed books. Now we publish a fair number of music themed books. Right. Um, 
but in the early days, yeah, I guess I encountered people who assumed it would be music related and I'd be like, not nothing. I got nothing for you, you know, like, <laughs> but now, but now we do, we publish, we do great books with musicians. We're Ziggy Marley's publisher among others. Um, we did books with a um, prodigy um, who's, who's deceased. Um, yeah, um, but from, but from the rock, from the hip hop group, mob deep, um, and, uh, yeah, we, we got, a, we got all sorts of less clay pool. We well, do what, lots of books with cool musicians. Was it almost important to you to define your identity first before doing that? Or was it just sort of like, yeah, enough with the music. I'm, I got, I got that around me all the rest of my life already. I don't, I'm just not thinking about that. It was more about getting away from the music. It wasn't so much about de de defining my identity because I did use like my music media connections from being in a band that you know had gotten good media coverage, right. um, so so I knew journal I knew music journalists who are super literate people, obviously, and you know people like Matt Deal and Michael Azarad and people yeah. that I was just sort of friends with and were supportive of my book publishing habit. Um, Danny Goldberg was like a music music industry veteran manager managed Nirvana. Um, and um, he was super supportive, super, super supportive. So um, it's always been super, yeah, very inter intertwined for me. So the, and and uh, well, thank you so much for speaking about the books. I, I, I've had a few folks on that are in the book world and, or, uh, you know, in and out of maybe. And, and I do think it's interesting. I think that it's also interesting that how, where, where things overlap and where, where they don't. I do want to talk, a bit about music too, uh, not the least of which is Girls Against Boys, which which to me is one of uh, you, Girls Against Boys walked a fine beam, uh, which is to say that you came from you know very much the indie rock world, uh, and again you mentioned the uh, you know the the, the substance <laughs> like Fugazi ninety five percent substance uh, <laughs> formula, uh, but you didn't have a. Uh, like the defined aesthetic seemed to be very strong from the get go. And I, I I'm just kind of interested in how did girls against boys as a band uh, originally come together? So soul side already existed. If I remember correctly, my history might be a little, little hazy here, Yeah. but uh, when girls against boys got together, did you have any, any ideas other than, Hey, we're going to get together and we're going to play this music and it's going to see what we'll see what it sounds like. Like what, what was the plan? If any, it was definitely, there was no plan. And in fact, if you listen to the very first Girls Against Boys releases, the 90s versus 80s EP, right. and then Tropic of Scorpio, which was the first album, both of which were released on Jeff Nelson's Adult Swim, Ad Adult Swim yeah. record label, <laughs> um, before later being reissued by Drastic Plastic. Um, but the the original Girls, Girls Against Boys recording was actually Eli from Girls Against Boys and Brendan Canty, yeah. who, uh, you know, great musician and including drummer of Fugazi. Yes. And Eli and Brendan, Eli, in the sort of late Soulside years, Eli was becoming a studio wizard. And so he and Brendan, I think, were just like basically fucking around in the studio making, you know, kind of like almost like electronic beats. And this is this would have been like, you know, 1989, maybe even 1988. And so um, they were just messing around. And um, and then I think they invited Scott in to lay down like a vocal track. Mm -hmm. And so 
I, I could have this wrong, but I think it was like Eli and Brendan, and then they pulled in Scott, and they they recorded these like kind of like dancey type, yeah, yeah, more yeah. like in, industrial, industrial. It's this is the A side of the record '90s versus '80s, right? Is, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. No, is, it, 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 this is the '80s. Actually, this is quite literally the '80s and the '90s versus '80s, and so, and then, and then Eli invited like Scott. And then me and Alexis, Alexis yeah. in to do more like rock, like something, but but with like an with like an additional like sort of sample element to it, right. you know, because because the stuff with Brendan had been you know sort of like electronic drumsy. So I think Eli's idea was to try to find some sort of to do more recordings, but maybe make these ones a little bit more rock, and so that became the three '90s songs that we recorded in, I think, 1990. I think the first three were in 89, and then the other three. Oh, and so they actually were 90s versus 80s then. That's funny. <laughs> yes, it was 90s versus 80s. and um, That's awesome. <laughs> and then after that, we started, like, we liked what happened with those three songs, the 90s songs. And Eli, it wasn't like Eli and Brendan had had any ambition they were just literally just fucking around in the studio this what they weren't i don't think they were trying to make a record or anything like that um but so um yeah and so eli, eli was happy with these six songs and then he actually put it out himself he made a 12 inch the ni original 90s versus 80s is on slate records oh wow which was e e eli's I, I believe it was eli's record label and there may not have ever been another release on slate records and then when we started to make to make more music that would eventually become Tropic of Scorpio, I think then that's when Jeff Nelson wanted to re, 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 reissue it on um, on Adult Swim. Yeah, so that was the that was how it started, and then then we all then me Scott moved up was living in New York already. Then Alexis moved up. Then I moved up, and we started making music. So it was. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so did and then the, Eli, and then Eli came up last. That's interesting. So did the uh, the uh, proximity? Did that sort of change change the aesthetic at all? Like when when did you have the idea that this might be like not like a one and done kind of situation, but that hey, we got something here. Let's keep it going. It's I don't I don't I don't remember exactly how it went down, but me Scott and Alexis had a band between. Soulside and Girls Against Boys, which was called Little Baby Sound System Sound Force, oh, and wow. it was it's <laughs> quite the name, it, or, or or Little Baby for short. Oh yeah, as one does. But, yeah. but Little Baby is important to know its full name, um, and that was me, Scott Alexis, and Mike Fellows, who had played bass in Rites of Spring and Happy Go Licky. Mike Fellows played guitar in Little Baby. Um, and sang. Mike Fellows was the lead singer and played guitar. Scott McLeod played guitar and also sang. And I, I played bass and Alexis played drums. And so we did that band in New York. And then that band kind of fell apart. And then I think Scott Alexis and I must have just sort of like kept kept playing. And then we were like, oh, maybe we should, yeah, maybe there's that Girls Against Boys record that Eli is putting out. Maybe we should we should, I, I don't I don't know exactly how it happened, but then but then Girls Against Boys kind of came to be started going. Yeah, that's the chronology. And then uh, and of course that one's that's 
you know, for folks that don't know, the Tropic Scorpio, it's kind of like the van kind of sounds like you're still trying to find exactly yeah. what it is you're doing, right? But there's there's some there's some great moments, also some great titles, you know. That I, yeah, I, I but think- it's like, yeah, the, it's not, it's it's definitely in terms of what Girls Against Boys, the band that we ended up being, Venus Luxure, number one baby, our first touch and go record is the first one after we had found what we were looking for. Yeah, that and, one and, seems and, more like a and, statement and it, of intent. To a certain degree. Yeah, tra- Tropic of Scorpio and 90s versus 80s are both very much like experimental music um, in a way, like with a you know punk music, but experimental music too. And Girls Against Boys became like a rock band, you know, a, right. you know, a punk, a punk, post-punk, whatever you want to call it, noise rock. I, I can't I can't let us move away from the earliest days without mentioning how much I love uh, the song uh, title. Everything I do seems to cost me twenty dollars. I've I've referenced that many times. In my, uh... It does need to be updated, though. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> that almost seems quaint now, but uh, yeah, that that definitely yeah. was a uh, yeah a bit of a theme song back in the day. Let's put it that way. Uh, so Venus Luxure number one, you got uh, uh, that's um, uh, Ted nicely did did that one. Is, yep. is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and. You've got songs like "In Like Flynn," like you have you have your thing down, like you've got it, like you you've got a, like a very a sound. You've got everyone. It kind of seems like from the outside, at least, everyone was on the same page, kind of moving towards a similar goal. Did it feel any different on the inside than it did for many and the other bands? You know, not Little Baby, Soul Side, et cetera, et cetera. Did it feel like there was maybe the ability to like go a little further, do a little more with that one? No, (laughs) Uh, no, we were just more mature. So we didn't break up when we got mad at each other. (laughs) It's important. You can't do cool things if you you don't stick around, you know, (laughs) I I, honestly, I mean, I think that's probably the answer for most, like all those great DC bands. Why'd they break up? It's like the people, you know, it's like you're, when you're younger, you know, it's just such a volatile age, you know, between, whatever, you know, 17 and 25 is just like a super volatile age and you get older and then bands learn, learn how to like, like, Oh, I get it. If I deal, put up with their bullshit, they'll put up with my my bullshit. bullshit. I get how it works. (laughs) Oh yeah. We don't, we don't have to have catharsis all the time. Don't we? Okay. All right. (laughs) Maybe he's right. Maybe sometimes I'm full of shit too. Yeah. Maybe he's got something to Well, and, and then that sort of kind of moved forward the the iconic uh, Girls Against Boys sound, right? You know, it's it's somewhat bass heavy. There's electronics that come in. Uh, it's it's and again that so that was uh, uh, that's a uh, what ninety two ninety three somewhere around that neighborhood, right? There, and there's a lot of exciting bands that are happening. The weirdos are getting let in. <laughs> to a certain degree around that same time like it's it's like right right during the gold rush to a certain degree as, as i think it's on this show uh did you feel who did you feel like were was the the band's contemporaries uh around that time what other bands were your girls kid? against boys in the yeah. early mm-hmm. girls against boys days well fugazi um um you know we, we didn't tour with them a lot we toured with them a little bit um we did a nice string of really early on did a string of dates with them in Europe, but regardless of playing with them or not playing with them, they were always, um, you know, close friends and also just musically both inspiring and also challenging, um, yeah. you know, and, and, um, but then 
But then we were on touch and go. So we got introduced to not just touch and go bands, but also bands, you know, more like Midwest sound yeah. and, um, and also just bands just to, anyway, we, our, our, our horizons were broadened. And so of course, um, the Jesus lizard was, you know, or I'm talking about bands maybe that we'd, it, aspire to be contemporaries of sure um working in but, the but same. we were i mean we yeah. toured a lot extensively with the jesus lizard they took us under their um their drunken wing um <laughs> and they were hugely influential um brainiac of course yes. was like our you know our sibling sibling band and we we probably played more shows with brainiac than any other band i'm guessing um and and a bunch of others jawbox um l7 we did a show with and they felt like we didn't know them but they felt like friends yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. um and lots of you know tons of bands did you did you feel like with that record and with those songs at that time and with everyone kind of you know, de dealing with things like adults uh, rather than dealing with, with things like I wouldn't go that children. far. <laughs> did you? Did but did you feel like, hey, we got something we can kind of build on here? We got some some place stuff we can explore, or was it was it even that ac academic? Was it just more this is water uh, as far as what you were doing that would be the lead up to what happens next? Yeah, no, I think definitely like the, yeah, there's avenues we can explore. I mean, it's like, that's what, when you connect with people musically, yeah. it's super exciting because it's like, it feels like, yeah, the, what, what can't, what can't we do right. if we're playing, <laughs> if, if, if we're, if we're in sync with each other. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we got super in sync with each other, um, particularly musically. And um, so yeah, we had a, you know, we put out a bunch of records and, and um, we're always trying to, we had a sound, but we're always trying to, of course, you know, push, push our sound and new, you know, what we're doing in new directions. And that was always a challenge, but I, but specifically for like when Venus Lux was coming out when, when our, we hadn't put out that much, theoretically, that was our second album and we had another EP, but it was our first album as, as we've been discussing after, since we sort of, stumbled you know really started to figure out what 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 was distinctly girls against boys coalesced and as then, an entity kind of had a more defined existence rather than yeah that makes sense yeah and so yeah there was you know um and eli's studio chops continued to get better and better so we that was something that we had as a band is like the ability to record ourselves um not that we did that a whole lot but it was you know, just having that in your arsenal. Um, and Eli was always involved with recordings, but it wasn't like we wrote songs in a studio setting. That's not what I'm suggesting. No, but, um, no, but but yeah, it's uh, obviously the man's got skills, right? So it's <laughs> that that's every the band is going to benefit from from having those skills yep. and are going to be able to uh, try out stuff and and do some cool things. Well, and it just occurs <laughs> to me too that even from uh, you know, especially from that record on, like there's. You know, ostensibly, whether anyone agrees the genre tag applies or not, the noise rock world doesn't have a lot of style to it, usually. Like, usually the the, the, the style, for whatever reason, got defined as, like, it, it, this quote-unquote anti-style and more, like, for lack of a better term, uh, proletariat. But Girls Against Boys was able to kind of hold the panache of the noise, but kind of make it cool, too. 
You know, everything was like a cool movie, even before it was in movies. <laughs> and I mean, it, that's just that's a hard again. That's that's another hard beam to stay on, uh, stay upright on. You know, you can go one way, inch too far over here, it becomes something else. Inch too far over here becomes something else. Was that something that ever was in the game plan or at all, or is that just how you guys roll? I think it's just not how we roll, and, and and I mean to be quite honest, like I never fully rolled that way. So I was like on a style level, I was kind of along for the ride, and you know I learned along the way. Like, um, I can wear black, you know, like I like wearing black, <laughs> right, and, yeah. and like so I wear like a black. I could have either like a black T-shirt, mm-hmm. like seriously, or like a black button-up shirt. But, you know, generally for like a gig or something, I'm more likely to wear a T-shirt. But I got a black T-shirt. I got some cool black pants, not like $100 black pants, but a cool $40 pair black pants, you know. And then like I wear Doc Martens, you know. So that's that right there is basically a summation of my entirety of rock and roll (laughs) style. So if you're going to credit Girls Against Boys with having style and panache, you're going to have to... We're, we're, you're, you're, our viewers and listeners are going to have to go to a different podcast. Um, <laughs> well, but, um, we certainly don't you want know, that. I, I happen to be in a band with some very sexy men, you know, and with that, who had a bit of style, you know, yeah. Scott, Eli, Alexis, yeah. those are styling guys. And it, I, honestly, you put me in, a, you put me in black, my t-shirt, my pants, my shoes. And, and, and I can, I, I, I don't stand out, you know, you it's can, like, you can I pass. Can... Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think it's a little better than that, but I, I, I get the, I get the, uh, I get the vibes. Uh, so, so changing gears a little bit, like let's move forward to, to cruise yourself. Did you have any idea that sex player was going to kind of hit the way that it did? Uh, cause sometimes some songs you just know. You played, you're like, wow, yeah, this is I, I, holy oh, moly. Oh, that was one where you just knew. I mean, and I've been thinking about that song a lot lately because at the beginning of the song, Kill the Sex Player, when Scott starts talking, his yeah. sort of intro to the song, I mean, the whole song is sort of a conversation. It is. And and and, and maybe it's not right to separate the intro. But anyway, his, his opening salvo and salvos, you know, in the first minute of that song are so inspired yeah. you know and and it's like when he laid down that vocal track i i remember listening to it going who, like who's not gonna love this, yeah, this like that's great. like the coolest <laughs> fucking vocal thing ever yeah and all he's doing is talking yeah but but it's like yeah the panache talk about panache i mean i i just that was super exciting when scott laid down when scott you know we i think we had like together written you know a good really driving rhythmic song but then scott you know totally took it over the top with yeah with his his vocals which are they're just phenomenal yeah it's, it's like one part film noir or one part like velvet underground lou reed observational and <laughs> you know yeah. but then yeah. also self, self-referential but not in a way that is uh uh debilitatingly so like it's it's yeah it works, and it's it's you know it's certainly a song that gets the attention too. You know, it's got it's got a pulse, it's got a rhythm. Uh, I think back to y'all playing it on the the John Stewart show uh, again, pre Daily Show, the John Stewart show, where he would have you know kind of cool bands play, and just being like, wow, they left this on TV. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> uh, I mean, and did you find that people like responded to that one as as you know? 
not that it's the Girls Against Boys Freebird or anything, but that the people found a response to it that was like, oh, man, this is hitting. Yeah, you know, because it was really like in terms of like, okay, Venus Lux, we've like, and then that song in, in like Flynn, in which like opens Flynn. the record, where when Scott says, come down to my level, I want to talk to you, which is like the the way, but in, for if you don't know Girls Against Boys, you have to listen to it because it sounds very different than when I say, when I say it. <laughs> but but um, right. but it's this invitation, this conversational invitation into our world, you know, to the house of GVSB and and the and so cruise yourself. I mean, and kill the sex player is like it's just it, to me it does feel like a marker, but it's 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 very similar tone-wise for Scott. And what was exciting about that song is, is similar to what's exciting about In Like Flynn. So Kill the Sex Player is like, you know, 18 months later, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, the plot has thickened. And, but it really, and I, you know, I don't mean to be sitting here saying my band is the greatest band no, in the world. No, no, no. Or I hope it doesn't that. sound like I'm patting myself on the back. I'm not saying Girls Against Boys is the greatest rock band ever, but I, but there are, you know, there's definitely, you know, I do love Girls Against Boys, and but there's certain songs I've been thinking a lot, as I said, about Kill the Sex Player late, lately, and I'm just, I'm, I'm really, you know, proud of that song and proud of Scott. You well, know? well, and, and it's and all of us together, but his performance is just so great. Th there's such a comfortable identity to it too, and, and it's one of the few songs I can think of, uh, you know, from that era, that genre, whatever the genre would happen to be, that also like it would feel good at a party. You know, and it's like it wouldn't it wouldn't seem like jarring in, in a bad way, It'd be jarring in a good way. Yeah. Like, oh, what's this? You know, rather than than like, oh, my God, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> All in the inflection <laughs> for those only transcriptions. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's something that, again, there, there just isn't a lot of. And, I, and it occurred to me also, you know, when I was mentioning it being, you know, a stylish band, it's also that. Girls Against the Boys was a was you know a co-ed affair. It wasn't dudes rock. You know, there certainly were dudes rocking, but it wasn't just dudes rock. And but by that I mean that uh, in a genre that tends to be somewhat not inclusive at times, it, it seemed like th there was an easy path in with the Girls Against Boys that maybe didn't exist in other bands. For, again, coming out from the outside uh, and a welcome one at that and again a defined identity like it seemed like you were guys that knew who you were as a band and as players and and had it a voice and that's not really a question that's more of an observation but <laughs> it seemed like you really dug in on that one like that that whole that whole set of songs it just seemed really just you know this is uh chinatown or something you know where, <laughs> where, where, where it's hitting everywhere it should yeah, maybe oh, with less you. of a depressing ending, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, but did it feel any different on the inside? Was that something where you just like just doing the work? And uh, obviously, you you say you're thinking about some of the songs, like, and and sometimes that can be like, why is this special? Like, why does this pop in this way, and this and this thing doesn't? And sometimes you can spend an entire lifetime analyzing. I think this whole show is spent analyzing that at this point. Uh, and the answer sometimes is it just is. It's just, it's just an awesome I don't even, I, I, I don't even quite understand your question. Uh, well, what I'm getting at is that, what, like, for, on, on the inside level of playing in the band at that time, did it feel like you were hitting on all cylinders? Did it really feel like, yeah, yeah, we're, oh, yeah. we're doing everything? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, not like, 
it didn't feel like we had like nailed everything we want to nail. It yeah. didn't feel like we had gotten to where we can go, but it, but that's why we wanted to go further. We wanted to get where we could go. It felt like, yeah. And, but also like our audience immediately started to grow when we put out Venus Lux and then cruise yourself. Like we suddenly got, our music was connecting, you know, the, with more people. There's a lot of people that, you know, didn't really care for Tropic of Scorpio. Yeah. Or I'm not saying it was criticized. I'm just saying it didn't catch people's attention. It, did, it didn't light their the fire way, necessarily. It wasn't yeah, the way Venus yeah. Lux did sure. and then cruise yourself. And so that was very exciting is that our music was getting better to ourselves and to our audience. And it that felt that felt clear, you know. Yeah. Um so that was, you know, when your audience is growing, we we didn't have huge audiences, but it was growing and that was exciting. So then Again, and I, I kind of posit this question to anyone that existed during during the 90s. Again, that, that rare time period where the freaks were let in, uh, even if only, <laughs> if only briefly. There was a lot of bands that uh, were platformed and given opportunities that, you know, in all likelihood defy logic and defy any kind of commercial, uh, you know, non-fever dream uh, outcomes. But it seemed like Girls Against Boys was a pretty safe bet as far as what you guys were doing. There was stability. You know, it didn't seem like there was like butthole surfers style hijinks going on. Uh, <laughs> you know, you had a record of success. Again, as you mentioned, a clear growth pattern. Uh, so then you you go into uh, the House of Girls Against Boys. GVSB, Vs, you see Vs versus whatever. You know what I mean? GVSB. GVSB, yeah. It seems like you're just continuing a winning streak. Like you're doing the thing. You got Disco 666 on there. You got like a bunch of other tunes. Kind of seem like the sustainable touch and go model of just putting out cool stuff and you're continuing it forward, but not necessarily taking that big bite at the apple for the the bigger thing at that point is it would, would you say that's a like correct assessment as far as uh from the inside at that point that would have been like what 90 95 96 96 i think somewhere around that time period uh what was yeah. going on when the band around that time where was where was everybody at well well we actually all the major label interest in us happened after cruise yourself so we actually signed our contract with geffen records and um, I think it was 95, it was either 95 or 96, but the, mo the, the most important thing, right, in terms of what I'm saying now is that we hadn't even, I don't think, recorded House of GVSB. Oh, wow. So, okay. All yeah. Right. So, so when we signed with Geffen, they didn't get our next record. We You're... signed a deal where they had to wait a record. They had to get the one after that. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So... It, yeah. So we put out House of GVSB on Touch and Go. So that whole time we were already entering, we already had a foot in the major label world, you know, and the people at Geffen, the publicists at Geffen were like looking out for us, yeah, you know, and help planting seeds with journalists because, you know, we, we were being, I wouldn't say we were being groomed because we were on Touch and Go and Touch and Go had no interest in grooming us for a, a major label, but <laughs> right, yeah. they, they had, been, but touch and go had been I'm, I, grooming is the wrong word with an independent, but they had been um, nurturing us and they can, then they continue to, you, you know, and then, but then it was a weird, the sequence of it was very weird because it was a little bit strange to be like 
we're a Geffen band putting out our last record on Touch and Go. Yeah, I mean, what was the mindset there of of just we want to, you know, we want to continue on with Corey and like with this 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 family like for one more and then kind of figure out after that or like what was the mindset? Yeah, our of plan doing? our plan with Corey had been to do three records together. Okay, and um, you know, I, I think that was like a you know a verbal understanding and and um we wanted to honor it and we also weren't like we were eager eager to take advantage of the major label interest in it and the money that they were going to pay us you know that was a bit, that was a big big part of what was going on and um you know because <clears throat> it wasn't until we signed with Geffen that we had the me- members of the band could afford health insurance you know, <laughs> right? Like those, those little like we things. Were, we, 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 we were like pretty high up in the sort of indie rock world. Like we were doing really well, yeah. you know, and but couldn't quite afford health insurance. And that's fine. You know, like music doesn't have to buy your health insurance, but yeah. but it's just, you know, I'm making a point here. Um, so, yeah. So um, having those resources helped helped you as people and in your lives as yeah well having as the resource of health yeah. insurance helps you as a person so that if you're sick you can go to the doctor yeah the resource of yes what should be a human, yeah the, right? exactly yeah. the resource of health insurance you know it's so fucked up health insurance yeah. is still so incredibly fucked up although biden is already making positive steps in the health insurance yeah we'll world. see we'll see there there's there's hope yet <laughs> as far as far as that goes so then all right so, so let's let's talk so let's talk about freak on Ica. Let, let's which i thought was freak on Ica for a long time and then i heard it said aloud i'm like oh like electronica right uh but talk about talk about that record so what was the what was the mindset at that time you, you obviously wanted to have you did you you take in the fact you had a bigger budget you had uh, promotional opportunities maybe that, that didn't exist before but there always were electronic elements to what that band did was the idea to kind of like dig more into that or was it just kind of like hey we're gonna do more like what was what was the yeah yeah we were trying to do more inter- you know and continue to do interesting stuff with on the electronic side of things we were touring a fair bit with like a live dj you know scratching this he was just a teenager this my friend jamin gilbert um, and, uh, he was, he was like 16, maybe. So we had like a 16 year old DJ traveling with us, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I was friends with his whole family, including his parents. So, um, but, uh, uh, um, and I, yeah, so that's, but I think it was like the, a, a common story of like a band having a little bit too big of a recording budget and spending a little too much time in the studio. So yeah. it, so that I think that record got overthought and overproduced. Um, and maybe it didn't have to be that way, but we, there was no one making us do, do it. It was what we as a band decided right. to do. Um, but I think it was in some ways, you know, it wasn't as successful a record from an artistic standpoint as the three records before it. Yeah. And and part of it, I think, was, you know, having a little bit too much time to, you know, not having enough urgency in the studio. Um, but it but but I think even 
I think like the songs would have been the same songs. Like if if that had record had been on Touch and Go, I, I, I don't I don't I don't think our songwriting would have been different. But the recording, this is this is my theory, at least. I don't know what my bandmates would think of this theory, but <laughs> sure. but I think that probably the songs would have been the songs, they just wouldn't have been overthought out. Sure. And do you think there was sort of a loss of a focus with kind of knowing when something is done? Because again, you mentioned like the overthinking things in the studio. That is a kind of a common thing that like if you have if you have the time you're going to start dicking with stuff it's that too but yeah (laughs) we 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 decided to um bring on a producer nick launay and um he's a great guy and a great producer but um it was also his his influence um and he had a very positive influence he was very Mm open-minded but i think it was like artistically the the stars didn't kind of line 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 up line up right um, but, um, cause Nick had a pretty good vision. Um, maybe, maybe we just didn't quite rise to his, to his vision or something. I'm not sure what it was. And I don't mean to diss the record. I think there, there's things on that record that sure. songs certainly that we all love and, you know, Park Avenue is a great, I think is a really good song and stuff. I just think it's not, it's not as we weren't as, um, you know, it's not as organic a recording. Well, and it doesn't, you know, it didn't hit quite the same. It, it hit a little differently, and it's that, that seemed to be intentional. And you know, sometimes you, you take a swing and it connects, and sometimes yeah, we you were, don't. Right? We were trying to do something new, and we were trying to, you know, yeah. Sometimes you know, yeah, you don't always not all, but you have to experiment. You know, as a musician, you have to, you just have to. And some, you know, sometimes your experiments don't pan out as well as other times. But it's you know it's it's predictable that the experiment with the major label involves a big recording budget. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. So, so then, um, well, and, and what's fascinating to me is I, I'm actually a big fan of "You Can't Fight What You Can't See." I think that's I think that record's really great. But it kind of seems Ooh, like, thanks. you know, maybe this is from the outside, but like that was a pretty pretty good length of time between there. Was it? Was there any kind of um, like what what all happened in between those records? Like what? Cause that's like a f- we got we got sort of trapped in you know major label um, apathy land, yeah. which happens to lots of bands. Maybe may, I don't know if it story. still happens to bands, but yeah. it was happening a lot those days where the label has you, but they're not sure what to do with you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so that happened. So we had to like, um, you know, kind of like legal our way out of, out back to our freedom, is is what happened, um, and. Um, um, we, uh, we did it well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was a, it was a bad, you know, there was like a bummer period just again, because of the cynicism that, you know, it's, it sucks to, when you make music, you don't want, you don't want to be leading from a point of cynicism. Um, rock and roll lawyers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but, um, we did have some funny experiences during that period of trying to liberate ourselves. But we, you know, we 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 managed to liberate, and we got paid to liberate ourselves, which was even better. Because when we signed, I will say, we got a great record deal, and and it didn't pan out well in terms of like our career and stuff. But on a, on like a financial level, we dotted, you know, we 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 I think we played our cards right, and I'm and I'm proud of that. And that's how I was able to start my book publishing company. Which was was with money I made from largely from Geffen Records, and so 
um, that is one thing that was positive out of it is that we all, you know, we, 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 I, I, you know, I don't, now I'm like bringing it up again. Well, yeah, but, it, but it, it I, I don't mean to guys... gloat. I mean, I, I just, but, <laughs> but it, there wouldn't be, I, I wouldn't have a book publishing company. Yeah, without it. No, there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, t- taking coal and making diamonds out of it. Right. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing wrong with that at all. And it's, it may not be everyone's story, but I, yeah, it's, uh, I think that's just as important as to, as to give like the, the big bad wolf parable of the major label and and whatever else like it's sort of like it doesn't it isn't yeah. just one story there's complications and nuance and I, I think it's I think you have one of the more interesting I don't know if you call it a second act like that 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 always sounds kind of um, demeaning to me but yeah. I, fascinating absolutely fascinating to me that you're able to do and like do it really well too and I think that that's a that can be inspiring for folks as well you know whether they're continuing to play music or not is to know that. You know, you can stay engaged and you can do cool stuff, uh, even if you have what would be completely devastating experiences on some level. Uh, anyway, uh, can you tell just I know and I want to be mindful of your time, but I, I do like you can't fight what you can't see record quite a bit. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, reconvening and kind of did you have it in mind that you're like, OK, this one's going to be a little meaner? This one's this one's gonna yeah. yeah definitely I mean we definitely knew we were we we wanted to strip it down strip it back down um and that's what we did you know and and um we had had like some songs we had written to make a, a demo for Geffen yeah you know when they were trying to decide what to do with us and so we <laughs> right. gave you know we recorded yeah. some songs this is where we're at and they're like huh, we still don't know what to do with you <laughs> <laughs> that didn't those four songs don't really help um yeah and now and then, we still don't know what to do with you yeah <laughs> um and so that's when we started to try to liberate ourselves um yeah. and uh and uh uh and then and then once we did we took those i guess maybe we had been writing other songs too and, and then we just built you know built the album around i think those first four songs yeah and and there's uh you know there's there's an intensity to it. And it's something where as a band that was somewhat iconoclastic, like you guys had your own sound. It wasn't. And again, I think it was, it seemed more pronounced at the time for the free Conica record to seem like sort of like an outlier. Like, I don't think it feels as much like it now, but at the time I was like, Whoa, are they doing nine inch nails or something? You know, and of course that's not even remotely true, but if you listen now, it's like, Oh, that's fine. It's just, they're just <laughs> trying some other stuff. But again, things were just, process differently yeah. back then right we didn't have social media the way we do we didn't have you know etc cetera, etc cetera, ad infinitum um but i mean oh, the it, world would have been so much better back then yeah. if we had social media <laughs> think of how great things would have oh, been can you imagine oh my god where's that dystopian lit <laughs> <laughs> uh. yeah that's right that's a good dystopian novel idea the internet comes earlier yeah it comes 20 years earlier great. starts fucking things up even earlier <laughs> fantastic uh, but don't worry, there's already a million podcasts about Bill Clinton. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why I said dystopian. Um, but you know, it, it's like it's not that it's a mean record, but it's it's like uh, you know, it's it, it's a it's a gritty record. There's a lot of um, yeah. There there is a little dirt on it in a good way, and, and I think that's something yeah. that. Uh, it's it's not like there needed to be a postscript to the story or an epilogue, if you will, since you're a bookman. Uh, but it's nice that you were able to to do that and be like, no, this is this is this is what we are. We're 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 this thing. We write these songs and we do this stuff. And maybe you forgot, but that's okay. We're going to remind you now. Yeah, you know, um, because 
time is getting short for me. Yeah. There are a few, a few relate. Can I say a few related things about girls against boys? Please, please do. Thank you. Um, is that we're, there will be, um, soon to be announced is a 25th anniversary reissue of, um, house of GVSB with, um, some, an exciting additional element, which I won't talk about because we haven't announced it yet. Gotcha. Um, and I will also say that there is um, the possibility of more dirty new Girls Against Boys recordings. Um, so, so, so you you can't fight what you can't see is is in no way an epilogue. Good is uh, I'm glad to hear it. Is uh, um, yeah, because there's um, we've been playing around a bit, you know, uh, virtually with one another, and there's some potentially very um, feisty things afoot. Didn't you you play like a show in Prague or something, right? The for for yes. Scott's birthday, like how how was that? I mean that that was like not. Oh, it was incredible. It was one of the best shows <laughs> we ever be okay. played. Yeah, it was so good. It was Scott's fiftieth birthday birthday party, and it was like four of Scott's bands played one after another. Oh, fantastic! Um, or or maybe or no, maybe it ended up just being three. Paramount Styles opened the show, then um, Soulside played, and then Girls Against Boys played. And it was just like this big packed club, sold out club in Prague. And we, we we flew in like, you know, four days early to rehearse and hang out. And it was just the greatest yeah, time. That, that sounds and, like that'd be okay. We, yeah. We played, I mean, most importantly, it, it all comes down from the fact that we actually played really well. Yeah. Um, and that was the best thing about it is that we played well when that, but that opened it up for other you know the social side of things because if you can hang out all you want but if you get up there and you you know you suck or you know don't really come through it's not going to be that exciting of a memory <laughs> well sure absolutely and it, it that's also exciting because i mean there's a whole new generation of people that never experienced a band in the first place that maybe they like the records you know they've they've got turned on to it and because of x y and z but just the the chance that there's going to be uh, you know, uh, a reissue and therefore more attention towards one of the iconic records and like the possibility maybe for other things. That's that's great news indeed. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to hear it. Personally, I'm glad to hear it. I'm also glad that you broke Ooh. the news on the show, but personally, I'm <laughs> glad to hear it also. Uh, so, all right. Uh, Johnny, thank you so much for, for being on the show. This this has been lovely. Um, and I really appreciate the time. There is one can question that I always ask folks at the end. Choose to interpret it however you like. But why do you do what you do? I think I'm so fortunate and lucky and privileged to do what I do. Um, so I feel like I do what I do because I was dealt a fortunate hand. I had great, I, I had and have great parents and, and, um, and then along the way, I was super fortunate to get involved in music, first working with Bobby Sullivan from Soulside at a reggae record label. And then through Bobby, who connected me to punk rock, like part of what it, reason why I do what I do is because of my dear friend, Bobby Sullivan, um, and, and um, who, not that he entirely introduced me, but it was a lot, it was a lot through him that I got pulled into like, not just being like a fan of music, but like having like a, you know, a musical lifestyle and really becoming a musician. Um, and so, I, I, and and uh, 
and to wrap this up, I'm not religious, you know, I'm not, I'm an atheist and art, you know, art is kind of my God, you know, and, and, um, and I feel really fortunate to have art in my life, literature, music, 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 first and foremost, um, and also very much like literature. So, so to be able to work in a world that to me is like, you know, elevated music to me is when it's good music is elevated consciousness, um, or is just humans sort of stepping out of their body. I don't mean in any kind of religious or woo woo sense. That's not what I'm saying. I don't, you know, I'm an atheist. So, but, uh, but, um, but I, you know, it's like, I really realized that during COVID um, more, obviously I've loved art my whole life, but in during COVID, I felt more and more essentially in love with music, essentially in love with great writing. And, um, and then the, the fortunate situation that I was born into and then meeting the right people along the way allowed me to not just appreciate art, but be a part of, a, you know, part of helping to make music and make, make books. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for it. And thanks for being on the show. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, brother. All right. Bye-bye. There he goes. There he goes. Johnny Temple. Girls Against Boys. What a cool guy. Uh, Kashik Books, A-K-A-S-H-I-C-B-O-O-K-S.com or all on your uh, various social medias as you uh, feel so inclined. <sighs> Girls Against Boys is all over the place. We didn't even talk about fake names. Damn it. Oh, that's on me. All right. Well, what am I going to do? So what we're going to do, let's listen to some music. Let's listen to, uh, well, what What do you think I'm going to play? Let's listen to, let's kill this noise. Kill that noise. Kill that noise. Make it all right. Kill the drum. Kill the bass This song is so hip right now, I'm going deaf, I want to kill this singer. 
and like Flynn. Girls Against Boys. Before that, we had. Come on, what do you think we had? Kill the Sex Player. <laughs> Girls Against Boys. I think that's an obvious choice, but. Man, what Ripper songs. What a great band. What a great band. That, that, was, that was awesome. Uh, Johnny's great. Hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, again, as I mentioned, Akashic Books, A K A S H I C. Go check them out. Go read something, dummy. Akashicbooks.com. Exciting pseudo-breaking news once again on uh, Protonic Reversal. Excited for the possibility of some new Girls Against Boys news. And certainly a reissue of a pretty killer record that I did not play a song from, did I? Well, that's fine. Hey, so name of this show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. This show airs on Radio Nope, Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Say yes to Nope. Archives at ProtonicReversal.com. Always free. Signing off. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. Mr. and Mrs. America, all ships at sea. If you do like the show, want to support it, and or get episodes sooner. One dollar a month. Patreon.com slash Reversal will make that very achievable dream happen. 50,000 watts of power. Thanks to everyone uh, for subscribing to both the podcast, to the YouTube, all the things, spreading the shows around, reviews, likes, comments, all that stuff. It may seem absurd, and it is, but it helps the show, and I appreciate it. This Just like I appreciate you listening to this show. Uh, thank you very much. Can you hear me now? Stay safe out there. Start on Route 128, the dark and lonely. And take it easy. Got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. Radio. 